0: This is the Ambercoat Christian Centre podcast. Hello, well done for getting to this fourth and uh, final podcast in our whole church teaching series on the theology of pleasure. And it's here where we're hopefully going to draw the threads together and land on how we think uh, biblically about pleasure and explore a few ways that that might play out in practice in our walk with Jesus. We began in the first podcast by observing how our hope is always tied to our pleasures and some of the ways a bad theology of hope or of pleasure can give us problems as Christians. In the second podcast we turned to the theological foundations of hope and of pleasure by examining how the Christian belief in a good creation, which is our true home, underpins biblical faith in contrast with Gnosticism which fundamentally thinks of the world as somewhere not originally good, from which we one day hope to escape. In the third podcast, we turn to our hope after death, where I argued that the Christian hope centres on resurrection, on the redemption of our bodies and the created world, rather than in a departure for heaven or a non-physical, purely spiritual afterlife. I hope that those have provided the theological foundations for being able to now in this final podcast say something about pleasure. How we we'll do it is like this. First having argued that pleasures are not fundamentally sinful but are fundamentally good I'm just going to start by clarifying what I think the Bible does teach about the link between sin and pleasure or perhaps to put it a better way to clarify when our enjoyment of pleasures becomes sinful. And having done that, I then will make four points about pleasure, which I hope will help us to hold a more biblical worldview and to live a more hope-filled life as we follow Jesus together. So here we go. First then, if pleasures are fundamentally good, as they are a part of God's good creation, then when do they become sinful? Titus chapter 3 verse 3, for example, says that We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Or in 2 Timothy, we read about those who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So what's all this about then? Does this mean that pleasure is sinful after all? Essentially, the problem is not pleasure itself, but it is when our desire for various pleasures, whatever they may be, start to take over in our lives beyond their rightful place. It's when our enjoyment of and desire for pleasure gets literally out of order in our lives. Notice the language of the two scriptures I just referred to. In Titus, Paul writes that it is being slaves to various passions and pleasures, which is the problem. And in Timothy, it's those who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That is the problem. You know, think about it like this: most sin is the desire for a good thing in the wrong place. Selfishness, for example, can be analysed as um, as kind of good desires. For example, desiring things like housing, clothing, and 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 beauty and love, and but wanting them in the wrong place, seeking to acquire these things by our own control. Uh, and by restricting their availability to other people, rather than trusting that God will provide them. Lust is the desire for a good thing, sex and sexual pleasure, but to desire it in the wrong place or in the wrong way. Vanity is the desire for a good thing, for respect and recognition and honour, but to d- to seek it in the wrong place, to want it from others and over others rather than from God and we could go on like this you know sin can be analyzed in these terms it often stems from a desire for something good but looking for it in the wrong place sin is drinking a glass of dirty water when we're thirsty rather than choosing to drink clean water you see all good things are given by God and we were made to enjoy them from his hand and in his ways To return to our examples, you know, we were made to enjoy food, shelter and material comforts. But we were not made to enjoy them by grasping at them with no thought for others. The pleasure is cured, but when it overtakes us, it becomes the sin of selfishness. It twists us up on the inside. We were made to enjoy sex, but within the confines of the covenant of marriage. When we seek it outside of marriage, it damages us and it becomes sin. Pleasures in their proper place are wonderful. Pleasures that are out of order are both sinful and destructive. We see this most clearly with addictions which C.S. Lewis defined as an ever-increasing desire for an ever-diminishing pleasure. That's why they bring such suffering in their wake. I won't say any more about this um, kind of uh, understanding of sin as being disordered desire. Uh, but there are some fantastic books that kind of discuss this at length in really helpful ways, and I'll just give you four. So, first of all, uh, Augustine, the fourth century church father, wrote a remarkable book called uh, The Confessions. And in it, he explores the dynamics of sin and pleasure in a a really profound way. And don't be put off by the fact it was written so long ago, for it is actually remarkably accessible. Much more recently, C.S. Lewis wrote an essay called The Weight of Glory, which tackles some of these themes. Thirdly, John Piper is excellent on this whole area of pleasure and sin. And I'd recommend starting with his book, Desiring God. Um, that that is that's an outstanding resource on this topic and finally um, most recently a a guy called James K.A. Smith has written a book called You Are What You Love Uh, and that's helpful on this thing of pleasure and of sin but it's also helpful on the theme of change which I, I kind of taught on in the summer so all of these deal deal really well with this kind of stuff and I'd recommend them if you want to dig deeper. For now then, if we accept uh, this, that the problem of pleasure is not pleasure itself, but it's when our desire for specific pleasures gets out of order, if we can accept that, then we can turn to the four positive things I want to say about pleasure and about hope and about following Jesus. So first of all, one implication of all this theology is that pleasure reveals to us something of what God is like. God chose to create this kind of world. He chose to create us as creatures that enjoy the pleasures that we do. The influential Christian theologian Tozer once said that a person's image of God is the single most important thing about them. And what he meant was that what we think about God, what we think he's like, is the thing that above all else determines the kind of life we experience The choices we make. Many of us have come to see and to know and understand God as good, kind, loving, gracious, merciful, fun, exciting, patient and so on and so on. But do we think of God as someone who likes us to enjoy ourselves? Who likes us to take pleasure in things? Do we think of God like that? And this ties in with the second thing that I want to say, which is that pleasure is fundamentally a gift to be enjoyed. You know, when you have little children and you want to give them a present at Christmas or something, you know, do you want them to unwrap it and say, well, thank you. I can see that this is a very wise and holy thing you've given me and I will do my best to steward it well and keep all the rules in the instruction booklet. Now, that's a very sophisticated response, but it's not really the primary thing that you were looking for. Rather, what you want is for them to go and enjoy the things that you've given them, to take pleasure in them. And so it is with God. When you are really enjoying one of the pleasures that God gives, He actually wants you to enjoy them. You know, what is God like? What sort of God is he? Well, he's the kind of God who creates hundreds of wonderful pleasures and gives them to you to enjoy. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He's the kind of God that invented the pleasures of good food and drink, the pleasures of sport and exercise and physical activity, the pleasures of beauty and nature The pleasures of sex and caress, the pleasures of friendship and laughter and humour and on and on. What kind of God is he? He's the kind of God that creates us to enjoy ourselves. And this is really the way that we, we need to think about sin. It is totally true that to sin is to disobey God and to be morally in the wrong. And that we should stop sinning in obedience to the God who purchased our lives by the death of Jesus. Yes and amen. However, it's also true to say that sin, to sin, is to settle for misery when God offers us happiness. You know, I tell my friends to stop sinning when we have these conversations. Not primarily because I want them to behave well. But primarily because I want them to be happy and not to suffer. What is morally good and what is experientially good are ultimately the same thing. The good God has made our universe such that what is right is also true and is also good and is also beautiful. We cannot separate these things out from one another. To be generous and thankful for example is not only right but is also in line with the truth because all things belong to God and are a gift from him and it's also good morally and it's also beautiful and it's also the most enjoyable way to live. It's the most pleasurable way to live is to be grateful rather than ungrateful, to be thankful rather than unthankful if that's the right word. What is God like then? He's the kind of God who is deeply concerned for our greatest pleasure. Deeply concerned for your greatest pleasure. Pleasures that will extend infinitely because God himself is infinite. So what is the ultimate Christian hope? Ultimate and infinite pleasure. Nothing less than that is our hope. The third thing I want to say then is that our theology of pleasure can make our future hope much more concrete. Of course, we always see through a dark glass, uh, a glass darkly. We we always uh, we can always only see to an extent um, the future that God has for us. But rather than trying to look forward to some ethereal heaven, where you know it'll be really good, but nothing like the things you enjoy at the moment. It's pretty impossible to look forward to that, I think, because it is literally nothing like you enjoy at the moment. If we're going to be biblically faithful, then uh, what our hope is, is to look forward to a resurrected existence on a renewed earth where our pleasures will have continuity with the pleasures that we enjoy now. Uh, Do you enjoy good friendships now? Well, you will enjoy better friendships then transformed by the removal of sin, but not changed into a fundamentally different kind of pleasure. Do you enjoy sport now? Well, you will enjoy it then. Again, transformed, but not fundamentally different. And so on, and so on. And if we take this seriously, I think this can so deeply impact the way we live. You know, we don't have to worry about missing out on any earthly pleasure now, If we know that all that is truly good will be given again in the resurrection. You know, you can sacrifice everything for Jesus now, knowing to return to Psalm 16 that all pleasures are at his right hand forevermore. Finally, then, if all of this is true, then we can increasingly become people that choose to enjoy pleasure as an act of worship. Okay? Because creation is so good and its pleasures are so wonderful, the constant temptation for mankind, as Paul puts it in Romans, is to worship the creature rather than the creator. Instead of receiving his good gifts as gifts and worshipping the giver, the danger is that we worship the gifts. And this is when we get stuff out of order. This is when it becomes sinful and all that stuff we talked about earlier. If we can avoid that, though, if we can avoid worshipping the gift, then the enjoyment of the good gifts of God should rightly be a part of our worship. Augustine, whose uh, Confessions I've recommended that you read, he puts it like this. He says, he loves thee too little. He loves anything together with thee, which he loves not for thy sake alone. I repeat it because there's a lot of thys and these, but he loves thee too little, talking to God he loves anything together with thee which he loves not for thy sake alone in other words when we enjoy pleasure and turn our loves towards the gift we love it too little but when we enjoy pleasure and turn our loves towards the giver of the gift then we love in the proper and the right way and this is so true in reality isn't it The one who enjoys the pleasures of a good glass of wine loves wine in a far better way than the alcoholic who can't go without it. The alcoholic spoils the pleasures of wine and this sin causes suffering. This is all to put it in the negative though. What I'm trying to say is that if our pleasures reveal to us something of what God's like and if they're good gifts to be received from him and if they can help us to grow in hope then to enjoy the pleasures God gives us in this kind of way can be one of the ways we worship him. To worship God is to live as he intended us to live and he intends for us to enjoy the pleasures he gives us. To return to the image I used earlier, when I give a present to my children, they express their gratitude in words but also in the pleasure that they take in enjoying the present. If they were to refuse to enjoy the present, I wouldn't feel that my gift had been honoured in the way that I intended it. Do you see what I'm getting at here? God has made us to enjoy pleasure. He's filled this world with pleasures to enjoy. And yes, we need to learn to enjoy them as he intended them to be enjoyed, in line with his ways and commands, because in doing this we maximise our pleasure. But the point that we so often miss is, Is that he intends for us to enjoy them and to do so with thanks and love to God is to worship him by living the lives he calls us to. Of course there's more to say, there's always more to say. We haven't spoken about how God calls us to give up pleasures now at times for the sake of the kingdom. We haven't talked about how the way of the cross and a life of sacrifice relates to this picture but hopefully you can see already that even these things only make sense if pleasure is originally good and a gift from God. Because that's the, what makes there something to sacrifice in the first place. All these kind of qualifications that we, that we might want to provide and that we would need to flesh out a, an ever fuller biblical picture of what it means to follow Jesus. These are all necessary, but they are secondary. First things first. God made you in a good creation to enjoy the pleasures he gives, which tells us about the kind of God he is. When we enjoy his pleasures rightly, we express something of our worship to God. And that is fundamentally true and basic to our theology. In practice, to enjoy pleasures rightly is no easy task. It's no easy task to enjoy pleasures rightly without spoiling them with sin or uh, shying away from them in some kind of false spirituality. But because it's not easy, this is one way of thinking about the journey of discipleship. And, And maybe putting it in these terms will help us to transform our thinking in itself. What is discipleship about? In what ways do we need to change to become like Jesus? Well, we need to become more like Jesus by learning how to rightly enjoy the pleasures that God gives what about that? What about that as a way of thinking about your discipleship? To become more like Jesus in learning how to rightly enjoy the pleasures that God gives. It's absolutely true. So that I think brings me to the end of what I want to say. Um, I hope this teaching has been um, helpful and I hope it has been a bit provocative And I guess I hope most of all that um, it inspires you to dig deeper into this yourself. Study the scriptures I've referenced. Read one of the books I've recommended. Email me and join in one of the conversations in the new year. And let's journey together deeper into what it means to know and love and to enjoy the God of infinite pleasure. Thank you for listening to Amblecote Christian Centre's podcast. For more information about who we are, what we believe and how you can get involved, check out our website Centre.org.uk.